When I was growing up, I enjoyed everything about Christmas. I enjoyed the Christmas tree. I enjoyed the lights. I enjoyed the family gatherings at my grandma's house. I enjoyed the presents. I really enjoyed the presents. Every Christmas morning, I would get up early before my mom and dad, and I would go into our living room. That's where our Christmas tree was. And I would start playing with my presents, my toys, until my parents woke up. And I always loved my presents. That is, until I saw what my friends got. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that we were poor. It's not that we ever did without anything that we really needed. But it seemed like that my friends, they always were a little bit better off than we were. They lived in nicer houses. They wore nicer clothes. They went on cooler vacations. And they got better presents. Now, one of my best friends growing up was Randy Tyner. And and Randy Tyner has since passed away, but, but I always envied Randy. Growing up, Randy lived in this big house that had a pond in the back. And you could fish in that pond. We didn't live in a big house, and we didn't have a pond, much less fish. Randy had this big hill had a driveway that wrapped around his house and this big hill. And whenever it occasionally snowed, we could slide down that hill. It was so much fun. We would slide past the pond and we would slide into the woods. We didn't have a wraparound driveway. We didn't have a hill. We didn't have woods. Randy had a pool table in his basement. We didn't have a pool table. We didn't have a basement. We lived in a house that the church that my father pastored provided for us. Randy was always the cool kid. Randy was always the star athlete. Randy always had these girlfriends. I wasn't the cool kid. I wasn't very popular. I wasn't the star athlete. And, and I never had a girlfriend growing up. When Randy got his driver's license... His mom and dad brought, bought him a van. Now, I know for some of you who were younger, you don't understand this. But back in the 70s, man, if you had a van, you were it. And I mean, think of Scooby-Doo and Shaggy and their van. I mean, this van was custom painted. It had plush shag carpet in it. Oh, man. I loved riding around in that van, but I didn't get a van when I got a driver's license. I didn't get a car. And the presents that Randy got at Christmas, the clothes were always a little bit nicer. The guns were always a little bit better. The toys were always a little more new, a little more sophisticated. I always envied Randy. Now, some of you are probably saying right now, Rocky, you were a brat growing up. Now, I don't think so. I don't think I was a brat. I, I think I was a normal kid that got bit by the envy bug. It, it's something we all get bit by from time to time. And it's something that I think that most of us take with us into adulthood, don't we? As children, we start envying and then we get old and we continue to envy. We catch it at a very early age. 
We love what we have until we see what someone else has, and then we want what they have. That's envy. Envy is that unhappy feeling you have when you want something that someone else has. You want to be something that someone else is. Someone said it this way, envy is the art of counting the other fellow's blessings instead of your own. Our word for envy is the Latin word from which we get the word or the meaning to cast an evil eye. In other words, envy most often begins with the eyes. We see something and then we envy it. A gorgeous woman walks into the room and all the other women eye her with envy. You pull up into the parking lot and you pull beside a brand new car or a brand new truck and you eye it with envy. You've wanted a boat for so long and you saved up your money and finally you bought you a used boat on Craigslist and oh, you love your boat until the very first time you take it to the lake, you put it in and you see everybody else's boat. And you eye their boats with envy. Somebody's phone rings and they take it out of their pocket and it's the brand new iPhone. And you eye it with envy. We have house envy. You say, I don't have house envy, I just want a house. Well, trust me, you will have house envy. I mean, you're going to get a house and, and then you're going to want a bigger house, a, a nicer house, a smarter house in a better neighborhood we have house envy we have relationship envy single people envy their married friends sometimes married people envy the freedom that their single friends have we have relational envy we have all kinds of envy that we struggle with but envy unchecked is more than just wanting something someone else has. After a while, envy begins to say, I don't want you to have what you have. You see, envy moves from saying, I want what you have, to saying, I want what you have, and I don't want you to have it. Envy is saying, not only do I want my grass to be greener, I want your grass to turn brown. That's what envy does to us. Envy not only wants more, envy wants others to have less. Thomas Aquinas defined it this way. He said, envy is sorrow for another's good. There's an old Russian joke that tells of a, a poor peasant whose neighbor got a cow. And he so envied that cow that he cried out in anguish to God. And God heard his prayer and God answered. And God said, what do you want me to do? And that old Russian peasant said, kill the cow. That's what envy does. You see, envy not only wants what someone else has, envy doesn't want other people to have what they have. That's why Socrates said, envy is the ulcer of the soul. But the Bible describes it different than that. The Bible says that envy is not just an ulcer of the soul. The Bible says that envy is sin. S-I-N. I want you to listen to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. He said, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Here's what they are. 
Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, and then get this, right in the middle, envy. Envy. Then he goes on and says drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, Paul said that envy is the result of following our sinful nature. And it goes further than that. You see, we can't just excuse our sin. Because the Bible says that our envy, that sin, will keep us from inheriting the kingdom of God. Envy is a big deal. We can't call it normal. We can't call it natural. We have to call it what it is, sin, and we have to deal with it. And the tragedy is, envy is a sin that oftentimes, and I would dare say most often, leads to other sins. In James chapter 3, verse 16, James said it this way. He says, for where you have envy and, and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and Every evil practice. Don't miss that. Where you find evil, you will typically find all kinds of evil practices. In other words, envy will cause us to do things that we never thought we would do to get the things that we want. Envy is a big deal. Throughout the Bible, the Bible talks about envy. In Isaiah chapter 14, we discover that Lucifer, Satan, envied the worship that was given to God. And because of that envy, he rebelled against God. In Genesis chapter 4, we discover that Cain envied the praise that God gave his brother Abel. And because of that, Cain killed his brother Abel. As we read the Bible, we see that Saul envied David. We see that the religious leaders envied Jesus. The Jews envied Paul. We're even told that Peter, when he was preaching one time, called a man out, Simon. And he said, you are full of bitter envy. But the story I want us to focus on this morning is, is a story found in Genesis 30. So if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to go ahead and turn there. And we're going to look at about three verses. That's all we're going to look at. But, but these verses are in the middle of a story about a man and a woman, Jacob and his wife, Rachel. Now, let me fill you in on the story. Jacob was a twin brother of another man named Esau. And these two brothers were as different, even though they were twins, they were different as night and day. And we're told at one point, as, as Jacob and Esau grew, Jacob tricked his brother and stole his birthright. That was a big deal. But what was worse is that later on in life, Jacob tricked his father and stole his brother's blessing. That was a huge deal. Because of this, because of Jacob stealing his brother's birthright and blessing, Esau hated Jacob and determined that he was going to kill his brother when he got the chance. So, so Jacob left his family and left his home and fled to another place where his uncle Laban lived. 
And as he began to work for his uncle Laban, he fell in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. The Bible says that she was a beautiful lady. And Jacob said, I will work for you for seven years if you will let me marry Rachel. And so Laban said, okay, you can marry her. You work for me for seven years and you can marry her. So Jacob went to work and he worked and worked. And, and in seven years, he thought he was marrying Rachel. But his uncle Laban tricked him. He married Leah, her sister, her older sister. When Jacob confronted his uncle Laban, he said, I couldn't let you marry Leah's younger sister before she was married. That would be disgraceful. And so if you work for me for another seven years, you can marry Rachel as well. So Jacob did. He was in love with Rachel. And so he worked for her, him for seven more years, and, and he married Rachel, and he loved her. That's what the Bible says in chapter 29. And the Bible says that God saw this. God saw that, that Jacob loved Rachel, but he didn't love Leah near like he loved Rachel. And so God blessed Leah with the ability to have children. And I mean, in a matter of, of several years, Leah had four children. But at the same time, Rachel was barren. Rachel couldn't have children. And that's where I want us to pick up the story and learn something about envy. It's in chapter 30, beginning in verse 1. And here's the first truth. I want you to write this down about envy. Envy begins when we compare ourselves to others. Did you get that? Envy begins when we compare ourselves to others. Listen to verse 1. When Rachel saw that she was not having children for Jacob, she envied her sister Leah. When Rachel compared what she had to what her sister Leah had, she envied. That's how it always begins. We look at what someone else has, we compare ourselves to what they have, and we envy. Now, in this culture, the ability to have children was a big deal. And even though Rachel had the love of her husband, because she did not have children, she became very envious. Write this down. Write it down in your Bible, write it down on your note sheet, but write this down. Stop comparing yourself to others. Stop it. Comparing yourself to others will never lead to anything good. It always leads to envy and it always leads to other sins and struggles that envy brings. Because there will always be someone who is stronger, someone who is smarter, someone who is prettier, someone who is bigger, someone who is faster, someone who is richer, someone who is more popular than you. So stop comparing yourselves to others. Don't do it. When God called me to preach, man, I had pure motives. I just wanted to tell people about Jesus. I wanted to win as, win as many people to Jesus as possible. And God just laid it on my heart to win thousands and thousands and thousands of people to Jesus. That's what I wanted to do. And I was blessed to be able to start pastoring a church when I was just 22 years old while I was in seminary, my first year of graduate school. But as I began pastoring, and I began to look at other pastors, and I began to look at other churches, and I began to look at what was happening in other churches, and I began comparing, I became envious. I became envious of how good of a speaker, a preacher someone was. 
I became envious of how fast their church was growing. I became envious of how they got invited to speak at, at different places because of their church growing and the people they were reaching. And even though I started with pure motives and even though deep down in my heart I longed for people to be saved, I struggled with this envy because of comparison. Comparing yourselves to others will never lead to anything good. And parents, listen to me. Comparing your children to others will never lead to anything good. You don't compare your children to one another. If you have multiple children, you don't compare one child to another child. You don't say, why can't you study like your brother or sister? You don't say, why can't you behave like your brother or sister? You don't do that. And you don't compare yourself to other children or your children to other children, the friends of other children, because listen, Envy or comparing will never make your children better. It will always make them bitter. You're comparing your children to other children will not sanctify them. It will scar them. Our goal as parents should be to help our children become the best that they can be. Not the best that someone else can be. God created your children, and God created you the way you are. Your gifts, your abilities, and even your perceived flaws are from God. Do you hear me? We look at ourselves, and we compare ourselves to other people, and we feel less than they are. And yet the Bible says that God made you for a purpose and no matter who you are, and no matter whether you're first in your class or last in your class, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you can chew gum and walk at the same time. It doesn't matter. God created you. And God wants you to be the best you you can be. So quit comparing yourselves to others. Nothing good will ever come of it. Envy begins when we compare ourselves to others. But second... Envy eats at us like a cancer. Listen to what it goes on to say in verse 1. She said to Jacob, give me children or I will die. No, no, don't miss that. Rachel so wanted what her sister had that she was going to be miserable until she got it. And that's what envy does. It makes us miserable until we get what it is that we perceive that we need that we've got to have. And that's what the Bible says. In Proverbs 14 verse 30, it says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Another translation says, Envy is a cancer in the bones. God is saying that envy is like a cancer that eats us from the inside out. Have you ever noticed how the rich and famous seem to have more problems than the rest of us? I believe they really do. And the reason is because of envy. They are never satisfied with what they have. And their envy eats at them from the inside out. They're not pretty enough. Their relationships aren't good enough. They never have enough things. They are never satisfied and their envy eats at them like cancer. But listen, it's not just the rich and famous. One study in U.S. News and World Report said that the average person feels like they need about twice as much as they have 
to live the American dream. And so, for instance, if I have $30,000 a year, I feel like I need $60,000 a year to live the American dream. If I have $60,000 a year, I feel like I need $120,000 a year to live the American dream. If I have $120,000 a year, I need $240,000 to live the American dream. That's what envy does. You see, envy says I never have enough, and it takes over. Regardless of what I have, I always need more. Takes us to the third truth in this passage. Envy creates tension in our relationships. Listen to verse 2. Then Jacob became furious with Rachel. Sooner or later, envy will always create tension in your relationships. You don't love me like so-and-so loves so-and-so. You don't look at me like so-and-so looks at so-and-so. You don't do for me like so-and-so does for so-and-so. Ladies, listen. If you are always telling your husband what your friends have that you don't have, before long your husband is going to feel like you don't appreciate what he does for you. And what that is going to cause is, is going to cause him to either be frustrated or to be furious. Do you hear me? It's going to create tension in your relationship. Men, if you're always telling your wife how someone else's wife treats her, how someone else's wife works out hard so she looks her best, I can tell you right now, it's going to backfire on you. When we envy what other people have, it creates tension in our relationship. Envy is one of the major causes of marital strife and, I believe, eventual divorce in our life. Fourth, envy reveals we aren't content with God's blessings. Whenever we envy, we're saying to God, God, you're not being fair to me. Now listen to what it goes on to say in verse 2. Jacob says, am I God? He asks. He's the one who has kept you from having children. What Jacob is saying is, I'm not the one that opens and closes the womb. That's God. You're not content with what God has given you. When you start wishing you had someone else's talent, someone else's abilities, someone else's possessions, someone else's opportunities, you get distracted from what God wants to do in your life. You get off track. You forget about the opportunities, the abilities, the talents, the gifts, the purposes that God has for you. That's why it's so important for us to learn to be content with who we are and what we have. This is what Paul said in Philippians. He said, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. In 1 Timothy, this letter he wrote to Timothy, he said, But godliness with contentment is great gain. I've learned to be content. Contentment isn't something we're born with. On the contrary, we're born with a discontented spirit. Contentment is something we learn when we allow the Spirit of God to control our life. Contentment goes against nature. It goes against the American dream. But the Bible says that we learn to be content. And let me give you a definition. 
Contentment is being satisfied with what you have, who you are, and where you are. Contentment is being satisfied with what you have, who you are, and, and where you are. There's a difference between contentment and complacency. Complacency says that nothing will ever change. I've been given this lot in life and there's nothing I can do about it and nothing will ever change. God never tells us to be complacent. Complacency is a sin. But God does tell us to be content. Perhaps if you're always saying the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, maybe what you just need to do is water the grass. Maybe you just need to use the gifts and the abilities and the talents that God has given you. I mean, if bad things always seem to happen to you, if you always find yourself on the short end of the straw, maybe, just maybe, you need to quit casting blame on other people and you need to look in the mirror. You see, maybe it's because you've become complacent with where you are and you're not using the gifts and the abilities that God's given you. Complacency is a sin. But contentment is a gift from God. God calls us to be content. Fifth, envy causes us to do foolish things. Listen to verse 3. Then Rachel told him, take my maid, Billa, sleep with her, she will bear children for me, and, and through her I can have a family too. Now, i got to be honest with you, I don't quite understand this dynamic that we see in much of the Old Testament. I mean, Sarah was promised that she was going to have children and be the mother of a great nation. And at an old age, she hadn't had children yet, so she said to her husband, Abraham, hey, sleep with my servant Hagar and have kids. I'm thinking, are you crazy, Sarah? I mean, really, are you crazy? And then Rachel does the exact same thing. My sister Leah, she's had four kids. I know Jacob is going to just love her more because he's given her four kids. Here, sleep with my servant so you can have kids for me. I don't understand it. Now, what you need to understand is God never condones that behavior. Do you hear me? You never see that in Scripture. God never ordains that behavior. What we do see is God allowed it and God used it even though it caused problems. You say what problems? Well Abraham and, and Hagar, do you know that much of the strife that we face in the world today is because of the result of that relationship? Did you know that? So go back and read it and follow the family tree and you will discover that the tension in our world today is because of that very beginning. Understand, when we compromise our morals, when we compromise our values, when we sacrifice our family because we envy what someone else has, it never turns out good. And that leads me to the final point here, and that is envy contaminates our home. And if you move forward seven chapters, you, you discover that in the meantime, God blessed Rachel and she was able to have a child. His name was Joseph and Joseph became his father's favorite to the point that, that Jacob made Joseph this favorite coat. You know, I'm not just going to treat you like the favorite. I'm going to make you a coat that says, here's my favorite. And he gave Joseph this coat of many colors that showed that 
this is my favorite child. Well, that, coupled with a lot of other things, created problems in the family. And in Genesis 37, verse 11, it says, And his brothers were full of envy. And so here's Rachel, who brought envy into the family, modeled envy in her home, and now her brothers were envying, or her children, her, her stepchildren were envying her son to the point that they wanted to kill him. They eventually sold him into slavery, took him from his home because of envy. Envy destroys families. Nothing good ever comes from envy. So how can we overcome it? I mean, how do we overcome envy? Well, I believe there's two very simple things for those of us who are followers of Jesus. And let me say before I go any further, these two things are for those of us who are followers of Jesus. Uh, to be honest with you, if you're here and you've never surrendered your heart and life to Jesus, I'm not sure you can ever overcome envy. I'm just not sure that it's possible. You may by willpower be able to control it for a season, but I don't think you're ever going to be able to overcome it on your own. That's just how powerful, that's how strong envy is. But for those of us who are who are believers, who are followers of Jesus, I believe there are two things that we can do that can help us overcome envy. First of all, we remember who we are. So when you begin to envy, you need to remember who you are. Now what does the Bible say? In Galatians 4 verse 7 it says, Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Now why should I envy what anyone else has? Why should I envy who anyone else is when I am a child of the one true God? When I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ? When I am created in his image and in his likeness? Do you understand what the Bible says about you? I mean, God created you to be a part of his family. And yet when we rebelled against him, when we spit in his face, he still continued to love us. He sent his son to die in our place. And through his death, we can become a joint heir with Jesus. We can become brothers of Jesus. Children of the Most High God. Don't let anyone look down on you because of who you are. You are a child of the King. Remember who you are. But second. Remember what you have. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says this, We have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead. Remember what you have. So what if you don't have the nicest house? So what if you never have a boat? So long, so what if, if you have a flip phone? You don't even have a smartphone. Who cares? You have an inheritance for you stored up in heaven awaiting you. An inheritance that can never be corrupted. It can never decay. It can never go away. And it is eternal. This is what Jesus said. 
He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. You believe in God, believe in me. My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare one for you. And if I go and prepare one for you, I will come back and receive you to myself. That where I am, you can be also. Jesus is coming back one day. And when he does, he's taken us to our heavenly home. A place that he has prepared for us that we're going to enjoy forever. And so what if you never have the best here on this earth now? So what if you don't have that relationship that you feel like you've longed for and you've deserved? So what if life seems to treat you bad? So what? For all eternity, for all eternity, you have a home and an inheritance that has been prepared for you. Don't get caught up in the things of this world. Take your eyes off of this world. Set your eyes on the things above. And here's what that old song says. And the things of earth, they'll grow strangely dim as you look into the light of His face. You see, when we remember who we are, and we remember what we have to look forward to, then it's no big deal that someone has more of something here on this earth. It's just a passing toy. We've got eternity to look forward to. Amen? Now here's the deal. Probably most of us here, we still struggle with envy. I know I do occasionally. I can still go into that parking lot at times and see something and go, ooh, man, that looks nice. It's not a, it's not a custom painted van with shag carpet, but it may be that nice truck or that fancy car or something like that. I mean, I can go into someone's home that, I mean, you can just talk and and it does everything that you tell it to do. Now you go into a house and you walk in, fix me a cappuccino. And somehow your house does that. I'm thinking, that's, that's crazy. How would I like a house that could do that? Sometimes I struggle with envy. And sometimes you probably do as well. But when you do, remember who you are. You're a child of the king, a joint heir of the Savior. And remember what you've got. You have riches waiting for you in heaven. And by the way, if you're here and you haven't given your life to Jesus, I'm here to tell you, you're never going to overcome envy apart from him. But if you surrender everything to him and allow his spirit to come in and take control of your life, he can give you not only the desire, but he can give you the power. So will you let him? I want you to bow your head with me and, and close your eyes. And with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, if, if you're here and, and you've never trusted Jesus to be your Savior, to be your Lord, then I want to invite you right here, right now, to just humble yourself before Him and, and give your heart and your life to Him. You can pray this prayer right now. Dear Jesus, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me. I know I've lived life my way. I know I've craved the things of this world. 
so sorry. I don't want to anymore. I want you to control my life. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave so I could be forgiven, so that I could have eternal life, so that I could be set free from sin. Today, I'm trusting you to save me. Come into my heart, come into my life, take control. Fill me with your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.